like Friday Films and Radio Nowhere, this is Did You Hear This? With your hosts, Zach and Paul. Welcome back to whatever the name of this podcast is. Did you hear this, I believe? <laughs> With Zach and Paul, yeah. That's right. I don't know. Did people hear this? I don't, I, I don't know. I actually doubt people did. So today's story comes to us from CNN Health. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, they were just reporting on a study done by the National Foundation for Infectious Disease. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into some, uh, some really boring and yet hot button topics here, Paul. So be prepared to talk about some things that might get us into some hot water, like anti-vaxxers, race, systemic racism. Mm-hmm. So the, maj- the, uh, the major takeaway from the story here is that it found that only 49% of African-American adults plan to get the COVID-19 vaccine. That's under 50% plan to get it at all. Hmm. 19% saying that of that, saying that they'll get it right away and 31% preferring to wait. Hmm. So even amongst that group, you're looking at three quarters of the ones who are going to get it saying they're going to wait. Mm-hmm. Conversely, 31% of African-American adults are not going to get the vaccine while 20% remain unsure. Okay. So, so the reason I brought this up mm-hmm. while you stand there staring at me confusedly, mm-hmm. he's sitting, he doesn't look confused by the way I know it's hard to tell on the podcast, but I'm going to keep doing the visual things. Yeah, I appreciate when you do the visual things. I think it gives people something to picture. <laughs> uh, the reason I bring this up is not uh, race baiting. It's not even really the big anti-vax picture, but I think it offers us a nice little sneak peek at this, as I mentioned before, systemic racism and how this mistrust of authority really affects the larger population, not just of that community, but of the country as a whole. Yeah, you know, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go for it. Well, you know, it's so, I'm so glad that you brought this up because this is something that I think uh, as a history teacher in this country and a, a graduated historian from the universities, um, I think this is a topic that we often overlook when we're discussing things like vaccines or distribution of, you know, government uh, spending or any, any number of things that you can approach this from um, when discussing what systemic racism is. And I think this one is one that really hits close to home and makes it easier for people to understand the concept of what um, systemic racism is and how it operates in our day-to-day lives without even our uh, conscious knowledge that it's occurring. So let's get into it. Yeah. One thing, uh, one further thing to note here, according to the CDC, some uh, additional factors for you. Mm-hmm. So while only 49% of African-Americans are planning to get vaccine, it's important to note that it's affecting them disproportionately a lot more than your white non-Hispanic persons. Right. Uh, they are having cases at 1.4 times the rate, hospitalization at 3.7 times the rate, and death at 2.8 times the rate, all of those from the CDC. So I think some of this can be traced back as far as 
you know, the, the immediate aftermath of abolition and the distrust um, that was originally sowed to the first generation of, uh, you know, freed uh, former slaves and uh, the first generation of African-Americans born out of slavery um, in that, you know, there were promises made by this government um, that were definitely not delivered on, um, notably the 40 acres and a mule promise. It just was never paid out. And I think you add on to that where, well, technical slavery may have disappeared. You had things like uh, sharecropping or essentially being held slave to the company store, which were inescapable. So there was no industry to go to once, once um, slavery was abolished. So people stayed on things like plantations and farms, primarily in the South. But uh, they had to borrow to buy things like food from the company store. And what they were paid was never enough to pay it off. So they were indefinitely in debt to the company. Absolutely. And I mean, you make a really good point in equating it to, uh, to that case of sharecropping. Another case of, you know, attempts by the white establishment to reinstate slavery and everything but name. If you look at the, the film, The 13th, um, that came out on Netflix a couple of years ago. It really deals with this idea that, especially within the South, but across the nation, one of the things done to try to create this passive slave-like population among African-Americans was to use uh, minor crimes and offenses to send them to maximum sentences in jails, or what at the time was considered the most maximum sentence a judge could give, um, because the jails would turn right around and hire out those prisoners to work for no money, essentially as slaves in everything but name. Um, and this led to the trend of over-policing of African-Americans. It's present from the essentially the entire existence of African-Americans upon the American continent, at least within the United States. Oh, yeah, um, the most recent example that I can think of, or maybe the most prominent might be a better way of putting it is look at the war on drugs where if you were African-American and got arrested with a gram of marijuana, you might still be in prison 20, 30 years later. And we know that that was not the case for, let's face it, white Americans. If you or I had been busted, mm -hmm. uh, we'd frankly probably be okay. We'd pay a fine, we'd get probation. And then you've got generations now of African-Americans and other minorities who are in prison for three strikes laws for things like possession of marijuana. Um, when you when you put all that together that we've been talking about this sort of history of you know all the way back from broken promises in mid 1800s through you know uh, disproportionate treatment through to the judiciary system the legal system you look at uh, reasons for a, a distrust of authority. And, some of those authority institutions are things like the healthcare system. Yeah. Well, actually, I, if you don't mind, I actually have an example from history of this. Um, I think, you know, the, the two listeners we have are probably familiar with the Tuskegee Airmen. The Tuskegee Airmen obviously being uh, the all African-American fighter, uh, the fighter group that was stationed in Europe and flew combat missions in the United States Air Force as a segregated unit made up entirely of African-Americans uh, with one of the best service records in the war. What they may not be familiar with is the Tuskegee experiments in which 
thousands of African-Americans were unknowingly um, infected with various diseases for scientific study and were not informed about it. And it, it had far ranging um, consequences. See, the reason I bring this up specifically is that I, I understand where, and I am not an anti-vaxxer because I believe vaccines are, are created and vetted to be used safely. That is the point of vaccinations. Um, so I'm a supporter of vaccinations. Um, but within the African-American community, I understand where, if, if you look at the community, it's obvious that there are reasons for that distrust of the medical community, um, as well as the government. So, you know, I think we're dealing with something that it goes much deeper than just this one instance of a vaccination. And I think everyone needs to be vaccinated for, for this particular disease, for COVID. But I think it's understandable why there are people who might want to wait to get the vaccines. Yeah. It is a little scary that we really don't know what the long-term, you know, the long-term consequences of these vaccines are. I mean, I'm going to hope that there aren't any. I'm going to hope that it, you know, I'm going to hope that it all works out right. And I'm going to get my dose as soon as it's available. I think everyone should. But I think that there's at least a, a place for understanding that distrust. So if you let me jump in here for a second, Paul, mm -hmm. and I think this is a very different sort of anti-vax situation where it's not necessarily the anti-science or you know, that we see in, let's face it, the Karens. Mm -hmm. um, it is that institution that that's less that we that the trust is coming from less mm -hmm. and uh, my asterisk and then my typical question here is my asterisk is of course we're a couple of working class white guys we really don't understand the history and mm -hmm. and anything else we're not i think attempting to speak for anyone nor are we trying to have white knight syndrome right mm -hmm. Uh, we're trying to look at a situation and honestly um, answer the question that, that, that we ask basically every week. So what do we do? Well, I think the first thing that we need to do with this situation, first of all, is read everything you can on other cultures than your own and the history of those cultures in this country, especially if you can find sources that are from those communities. Let's, before we start talking about communities and their political views broadly, make sure you understand African-American culture. Make sure that you understand Mexican-American culture or Asian-American culture or any subculture group. When you start learning about them and trying to uh, understand what their political views are, you need to actually understand what their lives are like, I think is a big deal. Um, and then beyond that, I, I think, you know, we, we need to get our shots when they're available and try to help spread awareness of the benefits of those, those vaccinations. What do you think? So I, I agree with you. And I think one of the best ways to understand other people's and the diversity of it is to seek out as much information as you can, reading and realizing that's not one, you one community, one culture, that there are many, 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 many perspectives. And so mm -hmm. trying to find as many of those as you can possibly access. Um, and then of course, get your shot. Science is real. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Anyway, um, this week, since Zach brought us our main story, I've got our local flavor. Today's story is actually a series of stories that I came across as I was trying to research for this. I was over on the United Press uh, International site looking at uh, just weird news because they have a filter for that. And I came across this story that on February 1st, 2021, uh, a two-year-old wallaby escaped from Woolforth's Party Time Ponies and Events uh, and was on the loose for six hours in Lubbock um, in the middle of a, of a dust storm. And I, I laughed, as one does, when you come across a story about this type of thing, um, notwithstanding, of course, having watched Tiger King and realizing how sad that is. But the very next page, as I was scuttling through articles, I came across another story. On January 29th, 2021, in Genk, Belgium, uh, there was a two-hour spree and chase of another wallaby. And I, I, I checked, I went back and I checked, and the stories were, you know, right next to each other. And both involved wallabies escaping in urban areas. So I thought, huh, I wonder. And I chose at that point to look for local news stories about wallabies escaping. Uh, and I got to tell you, I, I think there might be something going on. Uh, because on June 1st, another wallaby named Surprise escaped in Larkspur, Colorado. And I can't find a story that says it's been recaptured. There may be one out there, but I couldn't find it. Wallaby um, underground. Yeah. Right, right. And then on June 9th of 2020, another wallaby named Hoppy escaped in Franklin, Wisconsin. And then on September 10th, 2020, in Washington City, Tennessee, another wallaby escaped for 24 hours. Prior to this, another had escaped in Dallas in 2019. So I'm going to keep tracking this local story for a while because I think either we're learning something about how terrible the people who keep wild animals as pets are, or we're seeing the wallaby revolution. And I, for one, salute our wallaby overlords-to-be. For the millennial kids out there, it's, it's Rocco. His modern life is getting to him. He's got to get out. <laughs> All Look right. Look forward to the next Wallaby escape, Paul. I'll, I'll keep on it. I'm your eye in the sky on Wallaby crime. <laughs> That's what people will know us for. Hey, did you, did you listen to the Wallaby update this week? Wallaby watch 21. Oh, that sounds weird. Right. All right. Well, we're at the end of our time here. So ladies and gentlemen, on my behalf, as well as Zach's. What? You're the one who's supposed to say something on our my behalf. All right. Say your goodbyes. Goodbye. All right. We'll see you next week. Did you hear this is a co-production of Radio Nowhere and Feels Like Friday Films. Your hosts were Zach Armstrong and Paul Wonderberg. Recording, mixing, and editing by Paul and Mary Renee Wonderberg. From all of us, let's have a better tomorrow.